Can you remember the early stages of a relationship? I can remember the early stages of my relationship with my now wife, Jeline, and I look fondly back on those memories. And when I think about them and I think about the conversations we had and the way we interacted with each other, I remember asking one another a lot of questions. Our conversations were driven by questions because each question was a doorway to discovery. So we would ask one another about our favorite things, our opinions, our thoughts, all as a way to get to know one another just a little bit more. There are several question-based approaches to studying the Bible. The reason for this is that just as in a relationship, questions are a primary way to get from the unknown to the known, from the unfamiliar to the familiar. In this episode of How to Read the Bible, I want to introduce you to just three questions that will hopefully enrich your experience of Bible reading and help you get to know the Bible and its divine author just a little bit more. Hi, and welcome to the How to Read the Bible podcast series, a podcast series designed to help you grow in your knowledge and desire for reading the Bible. Well, I hope that as we've journeyed along in this series that you've been reading your Bible more. In our last episode, I presented four ideas on ways to enrich the Bible reading experience. Do you remember what they were? First was remember your goal. Second was create a plan. Third was pray. And fourth was make it engaging. So in this episode, I want to build upon these four ideas by introducing the first of three Bible reading methods that we will be covering in this podcast series. This first method is very simple, and I've come to simply call it three questions. The questions are intended to help you as a reader to engage with whatever you're reading in Scripture in a more in-depth way. And it is from these questions that you may want to pursue a more in-depth study. The questions that we'll be looking at today are, what does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? Pretty simple, right? So this method does not begin with any of these three questions themselves. Rather, it builds upon what I talked about in the last episode. So you've set out, you've set out on your goal. You've decided what your goal is. You have that goal in mind. Uh, you have your reading plan ready to go. Um, you, you have with you some journaling tools or, or some highlighting tools. And you're sitting down to read your Bible. And now you're reading. So that foundation is laid. Um, but as you read, you're, you're prayerfully waiting for a verse or a section of scripture to jump out at you. And that's the key of where this begins. So as you're reading, you're prayerfully waiting for a section or verse or passage of scripture to jump out at you. Now, what I mean by this is that as you read, you are trusting that God will speak to you. Again, all of the Bible is God's word. All of it can speak to us. However, I believe that God will speak to us specifically by highlighting something specific from within his word. This something may be your favorite verse from the passage you read. It may be a verse that stood out from among the rest. And you're maybe just not quite sure why it stood out. It may be a story or a parable as a whole. Whatever it is, as you read, you wait for it. You listen for it. And then you approach it with the three questions. So let's say you're reading in Ephesians chapter 2. You read about how those who do not know God are likened to being dead and they follow in the way of the world. You read about how God extends mercy to those who are dead and brings new life to them. Then you get to verse 8 and you read, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Let's say that this, this verse stands out to you from among the rest. Perhaps you even go on to read the whole chapter, but verse 8 still interests you more than the others. So what do you do with that verse? 
Well, first, you ask the question, what does it say? Asking this question gives you an opportunity to restate the text, that is, to put the text in your own words. This will make you more familiar with the text and lead you into the second question. I also encourage you to restate the, restate the text in a way that makes it personal. You may also want to elaborate on a word in the passage or substitute words. Restatement shouldn't be complicated or difficult, but it should be pretty basic. So let's give this a try with our, our passage out of Ephesians. So using Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you may restate it to say something like this, that God has extended love and mercy to me. He has extended grace to me, which has brought me salvation, and I've chosen to accept it and trust in him. I've chosen faith. Me being saved from sin has not come from my own effort. I couldn't have saved myself, and I haven't. I can never brag about it. Rather, it's, it has been given to me as a gift from God. So that's a pretty simple restatement. You've just taken Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, and you've restated it. You've put it, put it into your own words. Does this make sense? In this example, I've made Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 personal. I've elaborated on the word grace and explained the word salvation and boast. Again, this should be simple. It may help to imagine a child asking you about your chosen passage. How would you restate this passage to a child? By looking to a translation like Eugene Peterson's The Message, we may be helped in restatement. Uh, Peterson says this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, like this. He says, Saving is all of God's idea and all God's work. All we have to do is trust Him enough to let Him do it. If God's gift is, God's gift is from start to finish, we don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. So that's how Eugene Peterson, he takes those verses in the original Greek and he restates it into his own word. And if you remember from our Bible translation episode, he's bringing it into what he would call the street language um, of our modern day. And so it's a restatement. You've taken the words and you've, you've changed them just a little bit to help it make more sense to you and maybe even become more personal. Restating what the passage says, it may feel difficult at first, but once you do it a few times, you'll get the hang of it. So after we've answered that question of, well, what does the text stay, say by restating it, uh, we move in to ask, what does this passage mean? So after restatement, we move to an explanation of the passage, the meaning of the passage. This is also called interpretation. It's important here to mention a few principles of interpretation. First, Good interpretation is not about being unique. You're not looking at your verse for some hidden truth or message in Scripture. So you should explain the text with the most basic meaning. This may not be, the wor- this may not be worlds apart from restatement at times, because Scripture often explains itself. Second, a text can never mean what it would not have meant to the original author or audience. I'm going to say that again. A text can never mean what it would not have meant to the original author or audience. So this brings us to a principle called context. Context is really important. And it basically means that you never isolate a verse. Uh, You never take a verse out of the surrounding verses or chapter or book of the Bible. You never just ignore what everything around it says. You also don't rip the text out of the Bible itself. Uh, Instead, you always read it uh, within all that's around it. Um, And so context, it invites us to consider not only the surrounding verses, but also the original author and the audience of any passage. Knowing who wrote what it is that you're reading and to whom that the writing was going to is an incredibly important piece when it comes to context. Because it leads us to ask this question 
of what did the passage mean to the original audience. In many cases, the meaning will not change, but there are times where this will have an effect on meaning. Context also has us consider the genre. You know, if you go to a library and check out the poetry section or the history section and then the fiction section, in each one of those sections, you're going to find a different type of writing and you're going to expect to find a different type of writing. So as you read any genre, your understanding of that genre of poetry or history or literature, it's going to have an effect on how you understand what it is you're reading. And it's the exact same in the Bible, that when you approach a different genre within scripture, understanding that genre and knowing what that genre is, it's going to help you to understand the text. It's going to help you understand your passage. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on this topic, but instead instead direct you to a free online resource called The Bible Project. If you go to thebibleproject.com, and it's the Bible Project is one, one word, uh, the the is included, so thebibleproject.com, you will have quick access to several short videos that will help you in understanding context. So I encourage you to go check that out. Another principle in discovering what a passage means is to use cross-referencing. A lot of Bibles will have a margin on any given page that has several other passages referenced. If the verse you're looking at has a cross-reference, check out what the passage being referenced says. This is a way for you to consider the full counsel of the Word of God. Cross-referencing allows you to see what the Bible may say about a similar thought or topic in multiple different books of the Bible. This helps with your understanding. It is important to note here as well that the Scripture will never contradict Scripture. There are several more principles to learn about interpretation, but if this concept is new to you, I encourage you to start with these simple basics that I've just introduced. Go check out that website. Uh, Maybe you want to jump online and find an online commentary. All these things will help you in the task of interpretation. And within this question of what does a passage or a verse mean, many other questions may arise. And that's okay. You might be dealing with some tough issues. And again, I encourage you to take um, your questions about a text either to an online commentary, or maybe you want to write them down and take them to your pastor and help them um, to help you discover what a text might mean. Um, But there's other questions that will also arise that will just help you get to the meaning of the text. And I want to help you just a little bit and give you some extra questions that you may want to ask in coming to this point of understanding. Some good questions to ask would be, what truth is communicated in this text? What command is communicated in this text? What does this passage or verse teach me about God? And in that, you could say, what does it teach me about God the Father? What does it teach me about God the Son? What does it teach me about God the Spirit? You might ask, what does this passage teach me about my relationships with others? Each of these questions and several more questions will help you arrive at the answer to what a text, what does a text mean? And as complicated as this may seem, I encourage you to keep it simple. So let's apply this a bit to our passage. So I may look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. You know, I've, I've discovered a bit of what it says. Now I'm going to ask and answer the question of, well, what does it mean? Um, and here's just a shot at that. I, I might say that my salvation is not something that I can earn or work for or achieve. My salvation is not a prize that I would win in a contest, and it's not a medallion I'd receive for winning a race. It's rather, it's a gift. This means that salvation is not something that I gloat about or hold over another person. This means that as a Christian, to labor for God with the hope 
of securing my salvation is just pointless because it cannot be earned. This means that I shouldn't worry about my salvation or be fearful that I'm not doing enough to please God. So that's just a quick example. Does this principle of stating what the passage means make sense? It wasn't difficult to draw several thoughts from these two verses in Ephesians. And I hope that you see that coming to the meaning of a text isn't difficult. Coming to the meaning of a text will also naturally lead us to the last question. What does it mean? What does the text mean? Now this question is so important because it brings us to the application of the text. How does this text affect your life? It is easy to walk away after figuring out what something means, yet it can be very difficult to apply that meaning to your life. Remember a few episodes back we talked about the Bible being true and that we read the Bible so that we can be a, a pe- be people of truth? Well, answering this question and applying that answer um, to the way that you live your life will help you be a person of truth. So the answer to what does it mean to me, it should be applicable and it should be measurable. Application is always the easiest when we can produce a list of measurable tasks, such as read my Bible or pray every day. Each day you can ask, did I do it? And, and you have a yes or no answer to give to that question. If the answer is no, you know that you need to keep working at or trying to apply the truth of that message to your life. If the answer is yes, you can feel encouraged that you have applied the truth of God's word to your life. Or maybe a verse leads you to the application of evangelism. So your personal application is to share your faith with one coworker a month. Again, that is a measurable application. Application can also take many different forms. Some passages present very obvious application. For example, when we read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we are confronted with a lot of obvious application. For example, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it is said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So as we read this, um, we, we quickly come to see that, that there is an application that jumps out. First of all, we shouldn't be murdering. Okay, that's, that's a good application. Don't go murder someone. But then Jesus goes on to say that being angry against someone, he likens that to murder. And that causes us to slow down a bit because on one hand, we're like, well, yeah, it's easy not to murder, but it's a lot more difficult to not be angry. But the application is naturally there. As we read it, we feel compelled to say to, to say to ourselves, man, I need to not be so angry. You might write a list of people you find yourself angry with and, and work through that list, forgiving them for the things that you're holding against them. But do you see how the application is just so obviously there? It just jumps out of the text. And sometimes that's the case. And sometimes it's really easy to get to that, that to answer that question of what does this mean to me? Other times, application may seem harder to get at. In many cases, application may be more prayerful and reflective in nature. I find this a lot when I'm dealing with applying issues of of truth. When I'm reading a passage, you know, Scripture will often present us with statements of truth. And when it does, we need to examine our hearts and ask ourselves if we truly believe what the Bible is saying. Let's look again at our Ephesians passage to see an example of this. The application we may take from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9 might be, because salvation is not achieved, 
I'm going to examine my life to see areas where I'm, I might, may be working for God, thinking that it's out of obligation. So that's pretty simple application, but this, this is not necessarily overly measurable. But it invites us into a process. The truth that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9 is presenting um, is applied as I ask myself, do I believe what Paul is saying here? I may be able to recite this passage by memory, but I need to ask if the way that I live my life reflects that I believe this passage. This concept is applicable all over the place. It's easy for us to know something intellectually, but not actually live in such a way that we believe it. In the case of this passage, it is easy for me to say that I believe that I do not have to work to gain God's favor. But do I really believe this if I'm finding myself exhausted in my Christian life, acting as if God's love and salvation is something I have to earn? This verse may lead me to ask of myself, do I feel guilty in my relationship with God? Do I feel I owe Him something? Do I worry that by missing my morning devotions or prayer that I'll lose God's love and my salvation? If I do worry about these things or put conditions on God's love for myself, then I simply do not believe this passage. I know it. You know, I might say that I believe it, but I'm not actually living as if I believe it. The application for this verse is lived out as you or I live in a way that reflects a deep, hardened belief that God's love is not something that we earn. This again will look different for everyone. In my own life, this verse has been applied for me in my devotional life. For years, I struggled to keep a regular devotional time. And there are months even now that I still do. While not doing my devotions, I, re- I remember feeling incredibly guilty. I felt like a bad Christian. I questioned if I even loved God. I remember meditating on this verse in one of the few devotional times I managed to have. And as I thought about this verse, I felt God's Spirit help me to see that God's love and acceptance for me, my salvation, it wasn't hinging on what I did. I had taken my Christian walk and my salvation into my own hands in ways far beyond my devotional life. This verse invited me to receive God's grace in a new way, a way in which to this day is having a beautiful effect on my life. We see from this verse, and I could point out several others, that oftentimes application of a text is an invitation to examine our own hearts. We may ask questions of ourselves in regard to our faithfulness to God in areas of idolatry. We may ask questions of the relationship we have with others. We may ask questions about our attitudes. And as we are confronted with areas in our lives that we don't see line up with the meaning of a text we're reading, we need to move to discover what the application may look like in our own lives. Another helpful tip in this is to ask yourself, what would it look like if I lived in the truth of this text? What would your life look like if you lived in such a way that you knew that, that deep in your heart that God's grace was not dependent on what you do? What would your life look like if you lived in such a way that Jesus was Lord over every area of your life? What would your life look like if you chose forgiveness over bitterness every time? Asking questions like this is going to help you get to the application. Asking questions like this is going to help you see ways in your own life where, yeah, if I, if I lived in that way, it would look like this. And I need to do these things so that my life looks like this. So engaging in those things that you need to do, that, that is your application. And when we look at um, being people of truth, when we look at knowing God's heart, when we look at walking in God's ways, it's, 
It's the application piece that really helps us accomplish those goals. So it's important that we identify it and we do not simply be people who hear God's word. We're not simply people who get to the meaning of God's word, but we're people who actually live it out. So this is the three-question method. Again, as you engage in this, I encourage you to be praying as you go. I found this method to work best for myself uh, when I journal out each question and each answer to each one of those questions. So I would write, what does it say? And then I would write in my own words a restatement of that passage. Then I would write, what does it mean? And I would do a little bit of interpretation of this is what it means. And then I would write, what does it mean to me? And I go on to write application points in ways that I would apply this to my life. And then in my journal, I would close that time just by writing a prayer to God, asking His Holy Spirit to empower me and help me to live out of the application that I've discovered in His Word. Remember, the invitation here is to connect with God more through His Word. These three questions should only be seen as a tool to help you do that more. Perhaps you'll come up with your own questions to ask as you look at any section of Scripture. I encourage you to engage in asking questions as a way to get to know God and His Word more deeply and more personally. So today, this week, this month, when you sit down to read your Bible, when you find a verse or a section of Scripture that stands out to you, ask these three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? What does it say? Restatement. What does it mean? Ex- explanation. And what does it mean to me? Application. Thank you for listening to the How to Read the Bible podcast series. Please subscribe to this channel, share it with a friend, and keep checking back for more episodes. The music for this podcast series is provided by the Hopeful Sun Worship Collective, and you're listening to their song, Opening Up. My name again is Adam Beyer, and until next time, take joy in reading your Bible. God bless.